0: Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you could ask for anything, anything at all, no matter how big or small, what would it be? You don't have to answer it out loud. I just want you to think about it. You could have anything, anything is possible. But just one thing, all right? This isn't some genie-in-a-bottle scenario where your first wish is unlimited wishes, okay? So what is it. Now, if you've been with us most weeks or you've been reading through this two-year study, you might remember that God asked this same kind of question to the young King Solomon. And maybe you thought to yourself, I know I will ask for wisdom and discernment. All right? Because that way, you know, maybe if, because I didn't ask for riches or long life or conquering my enemies, you know, I, I'll, I'll get that all too. Well, you're not Solomon and I'm not God. Right? And this hypothetical scenario isn't real. Plus, you're only getting one thing. All right? You're not being rewarded for giving a humble answer. And if you didn't catch it yet, this question is also posed to Elisha by Elijah. Now, if you remember last week, when we talked about Elijah, right, he had run from the king and queen. He wanted God to take his life while he's in the wilderness because all of the other prophets were being killed and they were seeking his life too. And then God spoke to him in a whisper. Not in a great wind, not in an earthquake, not in a fire, but in a whisper. Because sometimes God doesn't use extraordinary means. Sometimes he uses the ordinary like a whisper. Today, God uses some of that wind and the fire that he didn't use before. And these chariots and these horses to take Elijah up to heaven. Now there are only two recorded people in the Bible who went to heaven without dying. Elijah is the second Now, Enoch is the first, but you remember Elijah of any of the two over Enoch because you can imagine this taking place, right? You can picture at least a little bit of what this looks like compared to what we learn about Enoch, and that is he walked with God and then he was no more because God took him. I mean, I guess just disappearing is kind of cool, but I mean chariots and horses and fire going up to heaven. And before he went up to heaven, Elijah chose his successor, Elisha. And right before it happens, he says, What do you want from me? And Elisha responds with, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He asks for a double portion, and that might make you go, What? What's he talking about? It's a little bit of an odd request. Well, it is and it isn't. What, what we see with Elisha is that he was the one chosen to succeed Elijah. At this time, there were many other followers as well. You heard them called sons of the prophets in the reading. And obviously, God had revealed to them that he was going to take Elijah because all of these sons of the prophets knew that this was going to be the day it was going to happen. And so they all gather to see it. So if you view this relationship of a prophet like Elijah and all of those that followed him, like you would a father and a son relationship, then you might view this as like an inheritance that is being given out as Elijah leaves the world. And so Elisha here may have been seen like the typical firstborn. Because in these days, an in inheritance, the firstborn would receive a double portion. And so Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And he gets it. Because he sees Elijah going up to heaven. So Elisha is going to become this next great prophet, like Elijah, getting a double portion of his spirit. And what's one of the first things that he does as a prophet? Bears. How many of you imagine you were coming to church today, and you're going to hear about the bears? How many of you, when I asked if there was anything you, were, you want, you would say, please let us talk about the bears? I mean, you can ask the kids who are in senior confirmation, some of you who maybe have gone through it with me before, because in one of our first classes together, I'll say, What's your favorite Bible story?" And while this isn't my favorite Bible story, I will often say to them, do you know the story about Elisha and the bears? And it's one of those things where it's two verses. It's two verses, but once you hear it, once you read it, you don't forget these two verses. But then you also read it, and you're like, wait, did that really happen? Did small boys just make fun of Elisha and his baldness, and then Elisha cursed them, and two bears came out of the woods and killed 42 of them? And then maybe you think, Elisha's got this double portion. And you're like, with great power comes great responsibility. And he just killed 42 boys because they made fun of him. I mean, Elisha, have you ever just heard of walking away? I mean, it's probably easy to think that, that Elisha totally just abused his power in this moment, and God let it happen. Shouldn't God be a little bit more careful with his prophets? Well, maybe. Maybe there's another better explanation than two bears killing 42 boys, and that our takeaway shouldn't be don't make fun of bald people, children, because you could end up being mauled by bears. I mean, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but maybe we need some more context to what these two verses give us. So to do this, we need to do a couple things. We need to go back to the original languages. In this case, the Bible here was written in Hebrew. And then we need to do something that we've also talked about in the past, and we're going to, Let scripture interpret scripture, And we're going to see where a small story like this takes us, and if it fits into the bigger picture of the Bible. So let's look at the words used to describe small boys or little children, as your King James Version might have it. The Hebrew phrase is a combination of the noun na'ar and the adjective katan. So what do these two words mean? Well, the word na'ar is often translated as children or boys, but it does have a broad range of meanings. It's been used to describe babies, adults, servants, officials of the kings, and even priests. The word katan means small, little, young. So the question would be then, Well, how young? This Hebrew phrase, Naar katan, is actually one that we've already seen before, even though you didn't know that you've seen it before. When God comes to King Solomon, and he tells him to ask for anything, and Solomon calls himself a little child. Yet we know at this time that he is no longer a child himself. Because he has a child of his own. And so maybe he's a teenager, maybe he's in his late teens, maybe he's in his early 20s, but he certainly is by no means an elementary school boy. So that's our language. Let's look at the context. This happens at Bethel. At this time, Bethel had become one of the two main worship centers for the northern kingdom. What's the northern kingdom? Well, we have to go again back to Solomon, who in his wisdom that he was granted by God decided it was very wise to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. And what did they do? They turned his heart away from God. And God was angry with him that he had not fully walked in the way of his father David. He even told him not to go after other gods, yet Solomon still did it. And God told him that his kingdom would be torn apart because of his sins. The kingdom of Israel would be divided. But that amidst the punishment, God would make a promise. He would divide the kingdom, but would give one other tribe to the tribe of Judah. Because Judah was the tribe that David and Solomon were from. And the other tribe that they are given is the tribe of Benjamin, That's how the kingdom is divided. And really what ends up happening is that Judah and Benjamin, which is the southern kingdom, they remain faithful to God. Well, as faithful as the people of Israel are known to be. But God is faithful and gives that promise amidst punishment. And he uses a but. And what you need to know today is that God... Is a God of big butts. That's a phrase you're going to remember. Now, I know you often hear or see this verse, but you hear it often, and that is, For the wages of sin is death. And it's true. When we talk about sin, we talk about punishment. Solomon, turning away from the Lord, worshiping other gods, deserved death. We, in our sin, we turn away from God. We make ourselves our own gods because we think we know what is best for us. We want to follow our own way rather than God's way. Because that sinful nature that we're born with, which has been ta- passed down to us from our sinful parents, from our original sinful parents, Adam and Eve, means we're born with original sin. And so we do actual sins. We are opposed to God and his ways. And what we deserve for our disobedience against God is death. It's physical death. And it's also hell. It's eternal death. That's what Romans 6 lays out for us. What you don't always see is what follows. And that is the word, but. But. And if you know anything about buts, it means that whatever comes after that is going to override whatever came before it. So if you were to say to somebody, I love you, but I really need you to start carrying your weight in this relationship, the person being told this is no longer going to hear the I love you. They're going to hear, but... I think you're lazy and selfish, and I'm treating you like a child because you're acting like one. And this is the difference between us and God. We say, I love you, but— because sometimes our love is conditional. I will love you if you love me. I will love you if you do this and this and this for me. I will love you in this very moment, but if I don't feel like loving you, I won't. And our relationship will be over. That's why divorce is so easy nowadays, because love isn't seen as unconditional. And it certainly isn't seen as a for-life commitment, but more like a feeling. God's love for us is unconditional. And his buts that we find in his word are big and unconditional. Because it's about his love for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here are some others. We heard one last week regarding the rich young man. Jesus said, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven And the disciples said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How does God make salvation possible? By sending Jesus. This ultimately leads to the cross, to his death, and why does Jesus die? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve death, but Jesus took that death for us. He died for our sins so that we wouldn't. He took our punishment, our suffering, because he loves us. And he knew it was the only way. In our sin, while we were far away from God, he came to us. He came for us. But it didn't end in his death. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we have the promise of rising again on the last day when he comes again. Forgiveness is a free gift paid by Jesus' death on the cross. Heaven is a free gift won by Jesus in his resurrection from the dead. And that is all given to us by faith, which is a free gift. And what does faith do? Well it reminds us that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's big butts are all about His good news, His unconditional love. Now, what does all of that have to do with bears? Let's go back to Elisha. Let's go back to Bethel. Bethel, a worship center of the northern kingdom, where those tribes follow in the way of Solomon, and they turn from worshiping the one true God to serving and worshiping other false gods. They build golden calves. They worship Baal. And when Elisha goes there, these young men ridiculed him, saying, Go up, you bald head! Obviously mocking his lack of hair, but also telling him to go up in a way. I mean, just like Elijah had just gone up into heaven. Make like a tree and leave. Because there was no place for him in this city. These two verses are a picture of the greater story of the Bible the war between God and the worship of Him, and false gods and their worship. Elisha is on one side, and these mocking young men on the other. I mean, that is the battle between good and evil. That is the struggle between light and darkness. Now, as mentioned previously, the word Naar could be a title for an official, a servant or a priest. So because this happened at Bethel, it's entirely likely that these were 42 Priestly servants serving Baal, not young children. They mocked and ridiculed Elisha because he, opposed, he was opposed to everything they and their false gods stood for. Now, we may remember the story for the bears, but the real animal in this story is the one we don't see. And it's the serpent. His slithering and slandering tongue was working in the mouths of these mockers at Bethel. Baal, the god they served, was just a disguise for Satan. And their fate was a foreshadowing of the serpent's eventual fate. Except it wouldn't be a bear that mauled the serpent, it was going to be a lamb the Lamb of God who would take him down and take away the sin of the world and bring peace to his people. That lamb that came from the line of Judah that God promised would remain. That lamb's victory is for Elisha. And that lamb's victory is for you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so you are, saved by the Prince of Peace and the Lamb of God. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.